The following is a message by Joel Bain, the lead pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. A few years ago at a conference, I heard the gifted Baptist preacher, H.B. Charles, make reference to something he had read in a book on preaching when he was a teenager. The advice of that author was that preachers should preach a topical sermon only once every five years and then immediately repent and ask for God's forgiveness. And he was only partially joking. Today I'm going to preach a topical sermon. Topical sermons, of course, aren't necessarily bad things. But as H.B. said in that particular conversation, when it comes to preaching, the simplest and most, most faithful way is to take a text and to work your way through it. That's the approach that we have been taking here at Grace Family Church Sunday after Sunday, and it's called expository preaching or expositional preaching. We have done topics on a few occasions, but even when we've done a topic, basically we've taken a text related to that topic and we've worked our way through it. But it's pretty clear to us as elders that for today and for this particular topic and what we, we, we hope God is, is, is aiming to do among us, would be best served by my going beyond the scope of one text to gather and to apply the wider teachings of the scripture to the topic of corporate prayer. We'll begin, though, with Colossians 4, verse 2. So feel free to turn to it in your Bibles. We'll probably also project it this morning and, and, and many of the other scriptures I'll reference so that you don't have to be jumping all over the place. Colossians 4, 2 is a very short verse, but... Don't let the brevity cause you to miss the gravity. As a young church, we need to be tethered by this command to the priority of corporate prayer. It is a vital means of God's grace to us. Yet it is one that is, is not easy to build and to sustain. So we need the grace that comes through this command to lead us into the continuous grace that comes from being de devoted to prayer together. So, let's avail ourselves to God's grace as we read from his holy word in Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Lord, we need the help of your spirit this morning as we contemplate this verse and other verses as we cannot try to sum up some biblical truths and as we benefit from others who have been meditating on corporate prayer uh, so that we would be shaped by your will, Lord. Uh, we desire to be a local church that is pleasing to you, uh, that is connected to you, and that's connected to each other. So please help us as we listen to your word and cause that fruit will be born from this time. In Jesus' name. If you pass many a church in Jamaica, you will see, outside the church, a list of public meetings on their notice board. Those lists can vary a bit depending on the church and their tradition and their emphases and the kind of ministries they have at that church. But at, at, on almost every one of those notice boards, you're going to see a couple of things. You're going to see a Sunday morning service, you're going to see a Bible study, and you're going to see a prayer meeting. It's normal. It's expected. We're in the process, God helping us, of building grace from the church, from being non-existent into a local church where Jesus is adored, displayed, and declared. It's hard to escape the idea that at some point, and sooner rather than later, we should have a prayer meeting. But in leading you, we don't just want to add things that are normally expected and then expect you to embrace them. 
In building from scratch, we have a tremendous opportunity to lay a strong foundation together that will shape our culture for years to come. And those foundations are strengthened by seeing what the scriptures call us to and paying attention to how they do so. When you read the Bible, it's full of prayer and of prayers. Prayer seems pretty important, but what is prayer really? And is prayer one of the things that God calls local churches to engage in together? If corporate prayer is a biblical priority for churches, what should that look like for us in our current circumstances and at our current stage? My goal today, based on Colossians 4.2, is to call us as members and regular visitors of Grace Family Church to devote ourselves to praying together, to devote ourselves to corporate prayer. My hope is that praying together will characterize our community as we continue to grow and to take shape as a church. And I want to approach this task by asking and answering three questions as best I can in the time we have. What is prayer? So that'll be the first question. Why should we make corporate prayer a priority? And how will we make corporate prayer a priority? So that's, what we're, that's the structure we're working with. Those, bit, those are the hooks you can kind of hang what I'm saying on. So let's begin by thinking for a while about prayer. What is prayer? I grew up in the Brethren Church, and I have distinct childhood memories of sitting on hard wooden benches listening to men pray in the communion service. A few of them in particular would stand, take a moment to compose themselves, and with chins up, they'd lift their voices to God for all of us to hear. Thou most holy and righteous Father, thou art bounteous in thy goodness, thine hand is upon us. Thy face we seek, and so on and so forth. And it was not uncommon for those prayers from a long time past to extend for a long time in the present. And don't get me wrong, I'm not mocking those men. I learned much from them, and I owe so much to them. And they were simply praying the way they had been taught to, or better put, the way they had caught from those whom they learned prayer amongst. But one of the thoughts that lodged in my head as a little boy because of those experiences, was that public prayer is difficult and formal, and that God is most properly addressed in King James English. Thankfully, though, I had other examples around me, particularly at home with my parents and other people who helped me to realize that you didn't have to pray like that. And I'm still learning to pray up until this day. One of the wonderful things that we are experiencing here in Grace Family Church as we grow is that refreshing sense of new beginnings. But in particular, when it comes to prayer, you can never actually start from scratch. No matter who you are, in coming here, we all brought with us the blessings and the baggage related to prayer that we've accumulated over the years. We brought expectations and fears, eagerness and reluctance, or preferred ways of addressing God and our understanding of what he wants us to say to him. So when I ask the question, what is prayer, what I want to do is provide for all of us a moment as a diverse group of people brought together from different traditions and carrying with us different expectations to step back and to appreciate what it is that God is inviting us toward today. Asking what prayer is gives us a chance to prize it, to hold it up as it were, to the light and to spin it around and to examine it carefully. And to appreciate its simplicity and its complexity, its power and its beauty. 
If corporate prayer is going to become one of our priorities, it would serve us not just to be aware of its necessity, but to be appreciative of its nature. We are much more likely to pursue what we prize. Here in Colossians 4.2, we see that we are commanded to pray. So prayer is an obligation, but it is also, and much more so, a privilege. Mark Maynell, in commenting on this verse, says, It suggests our sincere passion as much as our deliberate purpose. As we are shaped together by the word of God, may prayer become for us our sincere passion and not merely our duty. So, let's consider what prayer is in some ways that might help us to prize it more. We begin by asking for the help of the 17th century poet and pastor George Herbert, which is somewhat ironic in light of my story about how I was learning to pray early in my life. In the Psalms, God chose to give us words to pray back to him in the form of poems. So, it seems fitting that Herbert would reflect on prayer in a poem. This poem that I'd like to read for you is a rich one. So my goal is not for you to get it all, but more for you to experience it and to be served by it. So listen then to Herbert on prayer. Prayer, the church's banquet, angel's age, God's breath in man returning to his birth, the soul in paraphrase, heart in pilgrimage, the Christian plummet sounding heaven and earth. Engine against the Almighty, sinner's tower, reversed thunder, Christ's side piercing spear, the six days world transposing in an hour, a kind of tune which all things hear and fear, softness and peace and joy and love and bliss, exalted manna. Gladness of the best, heaven in ordinary man well-dressed. The Milky Way, the bird of paradise, church bells beyond the stars heard. The soul's blood, the land of spices, something understood. Now, I lack both the time and the skill to unpack Herbert's remarkable poem. There's so many vivid metaphors to savor and puzzle over. Did, did any of them surprise you? I wanted you to listen to it in hopes that you'd see and feel even some of the multifaceted wonder and mystery and magnificence of prayer and that your appetite would be stoked for us to feast together in prayer, the church's banquet. And if you want to spend some more time with Herbert's poem, there'll be a link in our podcast notes to the poem and also a link to a helpful analysis of it by the poet Malcolm Geet. Let's move on from Herbert's cascade of images to a single metaphor that he employed and that several others have also used. Prayer as breathing. In his book on corporate prayer, John Onuchekwa develops a metaphor. Breathing is necessary for everything we do. It enables every activity. Likewise, prayer is basic and vital. It's tied to both our present existence and perpetual endurance. Prayer is breathing. There's no better metaphor of what prayer should be for the Christian. Anuchekwa goes on to warn, but just because something is necessary for life doesn't mean it comes naturally to us. All of that is helpful. It helps us to see why prayer is vital and how it brings vitality to everything else we're called to. 
Yet we need to learn to pray. We need to work at it and dedicate ourselves to it. Think of swimming. If you're in a small pool, you might be able to furiously swim from one end to the other without taking a breath. But if you're going to swim for an extended period of time and swim laps, or if you're going to swim in the open water, you're going to benefit from learning the motions of regular rhythmic breathing. Our goal for Grace Family Church is that if Jesus does not return soon, this church should outlive us all. We're in this for the long haul. So it makes sense for us to give attention to our breathing, to give attention to corporate prayer. The Bible is the primary source that Herbert and Onuchekwa and others are reflecting on as they think about prayer. So if we were to make an attempt to distill what the Bible says about prayer in stories and in songs and in prophecies and in laws and in letters from cover to cover in a single sentence, what would that be? With such a gargantuan task, it's good to know that others have done the legwork for us and offer us their insights to benefit from. Gary Miller in his book, Calling on the Name of the Lord, A Biblical Theology of Prayer, offers this definition. Prayer is calling on God to come through on his promise. I love that definition for its simplicity and its elegance. Prayer is calling on God to come through on his promise. Onuchekwa expands on this idea. He says, calling on the name of the Lord is more than just saying his name aloud. Throughout the Bible, the name of the Lord is synonymous with the nature of the Lord. To call on his name is to make an appeal to his character. The last sentence in Genesis chapter 4 is our first introduction to prayer in the scriptures. It says, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. That time was the birth of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. Before God deported Adam and Eve from the garden, he made a redemptive promise to them that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. God had judged them, but he promised to help them. The sense of optimism at the birth of Cain, reported at the beginning of chapter 4, can be heard in what Eve says. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. But to our disappointment, we quickly realize that Cain is not the serpent crusher. Nor is it his brother Abel, who died at Cain's hands without offspring. And Cain's descendants offer us no hope, exemplifying unrighteousness. But right towards the end of Genesis chapter 4, we're told that God gave Adam and Eve another son, Seth. But Seth is not the serpent crusher either. But he's the beginning of a righteous line of descent that starts with his son Enosh. This is where prayer is born, among Seth's descendants who in the light of God's promise and nature began to call on the name of the Lord. And prayer actually doesn't change that much throughout the scriptures. It's informed more and more as God reveals his character and unveils his promises, both of which come into sharp focus in the person of Jesus, who was the promised serpent crusher. He inaugurated the work of redemption as we've been seeing through our walk through the Gospel of Mark, but it has not yet reached completion. The Apostle Paul, in writing to believers in Rome, writes this comforting promise. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And in the second to last verse of the entire Bible, Revelation 22, verse 20, we hear this glorious promise from the mouth of Jesus himself and this prayer said on behalf of all the saints. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Prayer is still calling on God to come through on his promise. 
And therefore, corporate prayer is doing that together. This whole Bible perspective can help us to fight the temptation to pray simply based on our felt and momentary needs. And for a corporate prayer meeting to primarily become the exchange of personal prayer requests. In Christ, God has become our Father. And the scriptures make it clear that He is attentive to our every need. And even counts the hairs on our head. But our sinful self-centeredness can often be reflected in our prayers. We can be most concerned about our own comfort. And hardly concerned with God's kingdom. But when our first concern is God's kingdom, then even the way we pray about our personal needs starts to change. And that kingdom concern sets a new agenda for coming together to cry out to the one who has brought us together to come through on his promise. What is prayer? It is a many splendid blessing. It is breathing. It is calling on God to come through on his promise. These insights into the nature of prayer should arguably be reason enough to make corporate prayer a priority. But the scriptures aim to entice us towards this banquet in a myriad of ways. Let's look at some of those ways as we consider our second question. Why should we make corporate prayer a priority? So why should we make corporate prayer a priority? In calling us to corporate prayer, what God has spread before us is an all-you-can-eat buffet of biblical instructions, examples, and promises, as well as mutual benefits that come through praying together. Perhaps the best place to start is where we started in the first place, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. Other translations say, devote yourselves to prayer. This verse is a case in point of a biblical imperative, a biblical command which calls us to corporate prayer. But there are many others, including Romans 12, 12, be constant in prayer. I think the kids are coloring in that whole verse this morning. And Ephesians 6, 18 to 20, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Here's Douglas Moo's comment on Colossians 4, 2. Paul highlights the need not only to pray, but to make prayer a standard feature of the Christian life. Devote yourselves to prayer. The point then is not that believers should pray with intensity when they pray, but that they should pray habitually and with perseverance. In the context of Colossians, this command is best understood as a call to corporate prayer rather than a take-home assignment. We generally tend to read the Bible as if it's speaking to us as individuals. And that's often applicable and important. But the New Testament letters from the apostles and from their associates were normally read aloud in the gathered church. So the first and most natural application is pursuing prayer together. In Luke 11, when Jesus' when Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them how to pray, he teaches them what we've come to call the Lord's Prayer. In that passage, the pronouns are all plural. Us, or we. It's actually quite awkward to try to pray the Lord's Prayer by yourself, except that it reminds us, even when we are by ourselves, that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, and that even in private prayer, our concern should go beyond ourselves. But it's so much more natural as disciples to pray to our Father with our siblings. How Jesus teaches us to pray is a reminder of the relationship that we have with God and the relationships that we have with each other. We were once hostile and indifferent to God. 
But now that he has saved us, one of the attitudes we must be eager to feed is attentiveness to God's commands. Because we are coming to know who he is. God's commands are an expression of his loving and gracious rule over our lives. They are compelling invitations to experience his blessings through obedience. But even more abundant than biblical instructions about corporate prayer are biblical examples of it. Corporate prayer is patterned throughout the pages of the scriptures. Think of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, which of course was succeeded eventually by the temple. It was not only the place of sacrifice, it was the place of prayer for the gathered nation of Israel. In fact, in Isaiah 56, 7, God refers to his house as a house of prayer for all nations, prophesying the day when all nations would be gathered in Christ to offer prayers unto the Father. There are numerous occasions in the Old Testament narrative beyond the scheduled feasts and festivals when God's people are called together for prayer. Think of King Solomon calling the people together at the dedication of the temple. Think of Queen Esther when the nation was in danger of exile. Uh, sorry, in danger of extinction while in exile. Think of Ezra the priest in corporate repentance. And that particular episode is described in the scriptures as a very great assembly of men, women, and children. And we can't overlook the Psalms. The primary use of the Psalms was a corporate song and prayer book. Many of the Psalms that seem to begin with a single voice eventually speak to others around and invite them into the song. A few weeks ago, uh, we took a little break from Mark and I preached on Psalm 90. It's a prayer which is plural in its praise and petitions. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Teach us to number our days. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Establish the work of our hands. The Psalms give us words to pray to God together in all kinds of circumstances. When we get to the New Testament, we meet Jesus, the ultimate man of prayer, leading his disciples into prayer with him, teaching them to pray, talking, uh, sorry, taking them with him at times when he himself went to pray. And the book of Acts shows us that even though those disciples were slow learners, they got it eventually. Before God poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost, they were gathered together in one place praying. When the church exploded into life after Peter's sermon on that day, they all were characterized as being devoted to prayer. As the gospel went forth from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and throughout the Roman Empire, the prayers were multiplied. Prayer is mentioned in Acts at least 21 times. And when we read the New Testament letters, we see the Apostle Paul in particular. We see his example of constant and joyful prayers with his missions partners for the churches. From cover to cover, the Bible is full of encouraging examples of people together calling on God to come through on his promise. My prayers this week, of course, you know, what happens when you preach is that you're really affected by whatever you're studying. So, of course, my prayers were a bit more revitalized this week. You know, we, you, you know, we can go through the motions sometimes, you know, it's time to pray for dinner and you know, Lord, thank you for this food, amen. And you just get into it. So after I prayed for dinner one night, my boys looked up and asked, so God actually hears our prayers? I mean, all the prayers of all the people around the world at the same time? It should never cease to amaze us that God actually hears our prayers. Not so much because of the challenge of giving attention to millions of simultaneous requests, but because of who we were and what it took to grant us access to God. 
Proverbs 15, 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. But we were not upright. We still are not upright. God hears us when we pray because Jesus laid down his life so that the God before whom we were guilty in our sins would become our Father who delights to hear our prayers. We are upright in Christ and only in Christ. On our best week, we don't deserve to have our prayers heard. It is Christ's work that guarantees that our prayers are received as cries of beloved sons and not as self-interested rebels. Our prayers are blood-bought. We pray at the cost of Jesus' life. And the blessings of Christ go beyond that. He prays for us. He did so when he was on earth and he still does so. Romans 8.34 tells us, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. And earlier in Romans, we're taught that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in our weakness, coming alongside our confused prayers that we offer in the midst of our suffering. The church father, Tertullian, rightly described praying together as a holy conspiracy. That word conspiracy, though it has a negative connotation now, was derived from a Latin word which literally means to breathe together. When we pray together, we conspire with each other. With the help of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And our conspiracy is gladly received by the Father. In fact, he has given us his promises to further entice us into prayer. Once again, there are far too many promises of God related to prayer to number and catalog for the time that we have today. Psalm 50 verse 15 gives us a prototypical promise and a precious one for seasons like this. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. This verse helps us to remember that the end goal of prayer is not our blessing, but God's glory. Yet at the same time, God has so arranged the universe that he is glorified in blessing us. Let me say that again for you. The end goal of prayer is not our blessing, but God's glory. Yet at the same time, God has arranged things in this universe so that he is glorified in blessing us. And as we walk through the Bible, God promises to protect, deliver, restore, and avenge his people. To watch over his word so that it accomplishes his purpose. To build his church. To give us his Holy Spirit. To give us words that we'll need to say in difficult situations. To give us wisdom without finding fault. To forgive our sins for the sake of Jesus. To send Jesus back soon. To take us unto himself. God expects and invites us to take hold of his promises. And to confidently approach his throne. That we may receive mercy and find grace in our times of need. But this is where a lot of people get confused and discouraged about prayer. We think that if we claim the right promise and feign the right confidence and perform the right number of repetitions, success is guaranteed. But we forget that we are praying to a person who loves us and not to some impersonal heavenly machinery. We put our faith in the power of prayer and then walk away disappointed when we didn't get what we so desperately asked for. Megan Hill, in Praying Together, which is a very helpful book on corporate prayer, offers wise counsel and great encouragement. 
The prayer of faith never demands from God, but instead bows before God, who works all things for the good of those who love him. It is faith in the God to whom we have never given anything, and yet who gives us every good and perfect gift. It is faith in the God who, if necessary, also gives us trials and suffering. It is faith in, faith in the Father who did not spare his own Son, and therefore does not begrudge us anything else that is best. For us. And it is faith in the God who always answers our prayers with either yes or let me give you something better. Why should we make corporate prayer a priority? Because of the biblical imperatives and examples and commands we've been given. And I want to add one more reason. Because of the mutual benefit it offers. And here I'll briefly point your attention to three mutual benefits. Love, discipleship, and partnership. I'm going to lean some more on Megan Hill a couple of times here. She points out, praying together makes way for mutual love by bringing us all into the same position. Sometimes we come to church and we look at people who seem different from us and we judge them based on their appearances and we write a backstory in our heads for them and we make a guess as to whether we could really be friends. Wait, 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 wait. you do that too, right? In, in, in any case, there's something about praying together, expressing our mutual dependence on God, admitting our need for Him and our desire for His purposes that draws us toward one another. And it makes sense based on how Jesus taught us to pray and what Jesus has done for us all, that praying together should reveal our familial connections and strengthen them. In late 2018, there were some of us who were involved in the start of this church and we were gathering in small groups to prepare for the launch of this church. I can recall just being amazed how as we shared our lives with each other and began to pray for each other, people who did not know each other a few weeks before were carrying others' burdens, were praying with tears for each other. It, 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 was, it really was an encouraging thing to see because you're putting this team together and you're kind of wondering, is this going to work? Is this going to gel? Are we going to love each other? But praying for each other really helps us to advance in love in a very short period. We need to pray together because times are coming when the bonds we are developing will be tested by misunderstandings, disagreements, sins, and strife. Praying together consistently strengthens the bonds between us. It reminds us that our agreement is a gift that is bestowed on us. And one of the ways we fight to maintain it is by agreeing in prayer. Praying together also causes us to grow in discipleship. Megan Hill gives a wonderful roundup of some of the benefits. In praying together, we disciple one another. We strengthen one another's faith, testify to our experiences of God, shape one another's repentance and desires, stir one another to thanksgiving, and encourage one another in godly habits. I've been in prayer with people, and then I hear them start to confess something. A sin, and I'm thinking, but I do that all the time, and I didn't even know that was sin. Yeah. So, in, in those moments, don't point any fingers right now. In, in those moments, it's somebody else's sensitivity to God's Holy Spirit and how they've been shaped by God's Word that is challenging me and helping me to grow. Each of us on our own cannot feel an adequate sense of all the things that are important to God. I've, I've been in conversation and prayer with some of you and you articulate burdens for things maybe going on in the nation that aren't even on my radar. But then I'm able to catch that burden. 
And we grow in faith by seeing faith in each other. I mean, when you pray with somebody who's going through the kind of experience that you could not even imagine, and you hear them expressing trust in God, and you hear them crying out to God and waiting on God, it teaches you how to look to God in the midst of your own suffering and to wait on God too. Praying together expresses and enhances our partnership with each other. I remember how earlier this year we prayed for Kadeen as she was heading out to do some work with a team, uh, visiting a number of girls' homes and serving them there. And praying for what she was doing meant that our hearts were invested in it and we were interested. We were like, how did it go? How did that visit go? And we rejoiced when the visits went well. When it comes to the life of the local church, no matter who you are, there will be things that you are not directly involved in. But prayer gets us involved in the things we pray about. We become participants in the things we pray about and partners with those who are working hands-on. And, and as we pray together for other churches in Jamaica and for our family of churches, sovereign grace around the world, we participate in the work that God is doing through many congregations, people whom we are unlikely to ever meet until the next life. So as you can see, there are many reasons why we should make corporate prayer a priority among us in Grace Family Church. So, one question remains. How will we make corporate prayer a priority? And that we is actually us. We need to bring this all home and not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. So, what I want to share with you firstly is a vision for corporate prayer in Grace Family Church. And then I want to share the occasions we already have and one we'd like to add for corporate prayer. So here's my attempt to articulate a brief vision for corporate prayer that can serve to guide us as we go forward together. To learn to pray together, shaped by the scriptures, confident in God's love, prioritizing God's purposes, and growing in love for one another. Admittedly, I am likely to make incessant attempts to improve that vision over the next few weeks, uh, but I think it's one that can serve us in its current edition. If we're going to pray together, it would help us to have a sense of what we're trying to do together and how we're seeking to do it. So what I want to do is just break that vision down for you a little bit. As we grow in corporate prayer, we want to be conscious that we are learning. We all have room for growth when it comes to prayer. The plan is not to step back and make space for the most experienced among us to monopolize the mind, as it were. We want to take a posture of learners so that even our children know that the one sentence they can manage is welcome. We want to consciously be shaped by the scriptures in our prayers. One of the challenges you can have as you're learning to pray is you're not quite sure what to pray for. But the scriptures reveal God's will to us. And in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, uh, it tells us that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So we want to learn to hear God's heart in the scriptures. His heart for the world, his heart for the church, including our own local church, and his heart for each of us in different situations. And return those desires to him in prayer. We want to learn to pray as people also who are confident of God's love. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are not beggars. We are sons. Tim Keller reminds us, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. 
He delights to hear our prayers. So let's offer them up together, secure in His love. And as we learn to pray together, we want to lean into each other in love. Look around you just for a moment. Yeah, actually do it. Yeah, look around you. For most of you, you'll see some people that you already know. Maybe some, some whom you know quite well. And some you don't know at all. But do you know how, how you can practically love any one of the people here gathered with us today? You can pray for them. You can pray for them without even being aware of a specific need. By praying for them from the scriptures. We can open any one of the letters in the New Testament and look at how the author prays for the people. Or what God's will is for people. And pray that for each other. So I want to challenge you this week, as you think of people here, as you think of those you're journeying with in Christ, open the pages of the scripture and pray from the scriptures for them. And we can also pray for specific needs as we get to know each other. And we can say amen to each other's heartfelt prayers. So that's a vision for corporate prayer among us. To learn to pray together, shaped by the scriptures, confident in God's love, prioritizing God's purposes, and growing in love for one another. So, the question is, when are we going to do all of that? How are we going to do all of that? Well, the first thing I want, to, I want you to be aware of is that we're already praying together. Every Sunday, we already pray together through elder-led prayer. It may not have even occurred to you that when we, the elders, lead in prayer, we are all praying together. That might be, because sometimes we tend to think of, I haven't prayed unless I myself have prayed, as if prayer only happens in serial, you know? Just take our time. But then we never would really pray together, would we? And it's not that we lead in prayer each Sunday because we think that nobody else can pray publicly. It's not that we think we are more likely to be heard by God. All of us have equal access to God in Christ. And he's the only mediator between God and man. We take this approach because it's one of the ways that we believe we've been called to serve you. It's something we saw modeled in our training, and it's something we see in the pages of the scriptures. How oftentimes leaders offer up prayers to God on behalf of the whole congregation, giving voice to God's heart for the people, giving voice to their own heart for the people, and giving voice to the whole congregation's heart for God. We also hope that as we pray and as we ourselves grow in prayer, our prayers offer, offered up on your behalf will be a model for praying. In, we, in the ways that they are soaked in the scriptures and in the breath of things they are concerned about. One of my goals today is to better equip you to be led in prayer. So I want to encourage you to be actively praying while we lead you in prayer. To pay attention to the prayer and to agree with the request that we're offering up by saying amen, assuming we're praying biblically, of course. And, and, and that, that kind of saying amen is welcome both during and at the end of the prayer. So, we pray together as a gathered people of God through elder-led prayer. But there's also already another occasion for prayer that I want to highlight and encourage you towards. Every Sunday, we have that congregational mic set up, um, and it's facing you. From time to time, we remind you that we welcome your participation in worship as you're led by the Spirit of God to share a short scripture, to pray in response to the truth that we've been singing, or to share a prophetic impression. What I want to highlight is the opportunity for any of us uh, to respond to what God is doing among us, particularly, though not exclusively, during our time of worshiping song, by praying at the congregational mic. 
Prayers of adoration or confession or thanksgiving are very appropriate and are welcomed. And they don't have to be long or elaborate. We can speak to God and serve each other even with a single sentence. And I know that there are many times when your heart will be stirred in a particular direction as we worship together. Sometimes at a point in worship, we will invite specifically some type of participation, possibly prayer or something else. But even without that invitation, please do not hesitate to approach either Sean or Sheldon, who are usually sitting, one of them is usually in this vicinity, um, to say that you'd like to pray and they'll be able to direct the proceedings. These are opportunities we already have to pray together. But we want to pray together more. We want to do so more during the communion time as we respond to the word together. That's something we started to do. It's obviously much more complicated now that we are sitting and spaced apart uh, out of need during this time. But we still want to do what we can. One significant initiative we want to begin is a regular periodical time of prayer after the service. Beginning on October 18th. That's, two, that, that's not next Sunday. The Sunday after. Now, of course, we have no facilities of our own, and right now it's hard to gather outside of Sundays. But we want to do what we can to express the priority of corporate prayer. We haven't yet finalized a frequency. It could be quarterly or every two months. But what we want to do is at the end of the service, uh, we'd end our regular time, but we'd gather again within a few minutes with as many as can stay to pray together, about 25 minutes or so. So those mornings would end at around 10.30 for those joining us. And I hope that with all that's been said this morning, you'll make it a priority to join us for those times beginning on October 18th. God has so much in store for us and wants to do so much among us as we pray together. The last thing I want to point you towards is what I call prayer opportunism. One of the things that I've been learning over years is to grab immediate opportunities to pray for and with others. Often, when we talk to each other, we share about situations and needs. And I, for one, have broken many a promise to pray for somebody. You know, we get together and say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then they completely forget about it until the next time I see them. Uh, yeah, I've done that with you guys too. Sorry. But what I've found is uh, shared joy in simply saying, can we pray about that? No. And quickly praying for others. It's one of the simplest ways to pray together. It's one of the simplest ways to communicate love and concern. So as you talk after church or as you talk on the phone or message during the week, pray for one another. God is always present in every one of our conversations. So all we'd really be doing is bringing his presence to the fore. Let me conclude. Prayer is calling on God to come through on his promise. For believers, it's breathing. It is vital and vitalizing. And we are called to this holy conspiracy, energized by the Spirit's instructions, examples, and promises, and the mutual blessings that God is eager to bestow on us. This is a call to corporate prayer. A call to be attentive to how we are already praying together and to invest yourself in prayer with us as we create more occasions for praying together. God loves when his people pray. So let's be enthusiastic to offer up prayers together. And where we find our zeal is lacking, let's pray even about that. Let's confess our apathy and our lethargy and our preoccupation with other things. Let's confess our fear of man and that we think more about being embarrassed in front of others than about being embraced by God. Let's confess our tendency to give up if things aren't going the way we want. 
Let's humbly receive God's help in every way that we need it so that we can seek God's kingdom and will together for the sake of God's glory. Let's pray together and let's do that right now. You have just listened to a message by Joel Bain, the lead pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.